Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Um, we'll come back in uh, the next year to our series through the book of 2 Corinthians, but we're in Matthew chapter 1. If you're here at Christmas season, uh, we have Christmas Eve services at 2 or 4 or 6 o'clock. I'll do a short message and a children's message and Christmas carols and communion and candlelight. It's just really a special time. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you, 2, 4, or 6. And then next Sunday, I'll preach uh, from the next passage in this uh, Matthew chapter 2 story of the wise man. I hope you can join us for those things if you're in town. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, the birth of Jesus, really from the perspective more of Joseph. So let's read beginning with verse 18. If you'll follow along, if you have your Bible with you, it's always a good thing. Keep it open, follow along, or however, you're, uh, however you have your Bible open, let's follow as we read these verses together. The Bible says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angels had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Well, let's note some principles from this passage as we see this perspective of Joseph and all that he's learning. And five principles about the coming of Jesus I want us to note together. If you're uh, here in the back of the worship guide, we always put message notes and you can write those there. If you're watching online, of course, you can write those wherever you are or listening to it later on the radio. Let's read these verses together, uh, read these uh, principles together and note them together and you can write them down as we go. Principle number one, the coming of Jesus is surprising. One thing certainly about the coming of Jesus is the surprise that came with that. And the Bible talks to us about this beginning in verse 18. The Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus Christ that came about this way. And the Bible says, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. Now notice that he's called her husband and that he would have to divorce her. So it's more serious than what we think of as engagement today. Though people can break engagements, they don't go through a divorce. We don't call them yet a husband or a wife. But it was a legal uh, binding commitment they had made. And so they would have to divorce. They were called husband and wife. Though they didn't live together yet. They were still not man and wife officially until the wedding itself. But they were headed that way. This is a serious matter. And the Bible says, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant. Now that's a big surprise to Joseph because Joseph has not seen this coming. I suspect many things about this would have surprised him. He probably thought, I thought I knew this woman. I can't believe she would betray me. It's hard to imagine I was going to spend my life with her. I mean, I was going to be faithful to her, committed to her, and then to see this happen, it just, I didn't see it coming. And Mary, of all people, because she seemed 
like someone who wanted to follow the Lord so much and who seemed to want to do right. I just, she just didn't seem to me someone who was going to betray me like this. And what a surprise it was. And then, of course, he would later find out that she was going to have a child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 continues the surprise. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and when I say he's a righteous man, when the Bible says that, of course, he's not righteous in the sense that he's without sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous in our own merit. We need the blood of Jesus shed for us as a means by which we can be declared holy or declared righteous. But he is a good man. He's a righteous man. Though imperfectly, he's trying to follow the Lord. He's trying to obey what God says and do what God wants. And he is a good and godly man. He's honorable. He's caring. And notice what the Bible says about him here. And not wanting to disgrace her publicly. Not wanting to disgrace her publicly. I think this comes out of his spirit. It's kind of the American way to pay back. If someone hurts us, we hurt them. If someone harms us, we harm them. And here's a man who's saying, I'm not going to disgrace her publicly. This is painful enough for her. What she's going to go through has got to be hard enough for her. I'm not going to just add to her pain and misery. And so the Bible says he was going to, he decided to divorce her secretly. But what a surprise. You know, some of the things God does are just so surprising to us, just so surprising. Who would have guessed this strategy from God? Who would have guessed that God would love us as he does? Who would have thought that God would send his son headed to a cross? Uh, maybe some of you know what you're getting for Christmas, but I bet for many of you it's a surprise and you'll, you know, whatever you might get for, I hope you get that pony this year. That'll be a lot of fun for you. But I want to read a story about a husband and wife as they were thinking about Christmas. Let me just read it to you. A husband and wife were Christmas shopping at a busy shopping mall just before Christmas. And the wife suddenly realized that her husband was missing. And as they had a lot to do, she called him. The wife said, where are you? You know we have a lot to do. He said, do you remember the jewelry store we went into about 10 years ago and you fell in love with that diamond necklace? And I couldn't afford it at the time. And I said that one day I would get it for you. And little, little tears started to flow down her cheek and she got all choked up. Yes, I remember that shop, she replied. Well, he said, I'm in the gun shop next door to that. <laughs> Surprise. What's a surprising thing that God would do the work he did? What a surprising thing that he would love us as he loves us. And what a surprising thing for Joseph to think, God is going to have me participate in this incredible event in such an unusual way. The coming of Jesus is surprising. Principle number two, the coming of Jesus is miraculous. It's miraculous. Verse, um, verse 18 says, she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, but after he had considered these things, and I'm sure he had considered them, I mean, that's probably all he could think about. The worry, the wonder, the doubt, the frustration, the difficulties that were going to come, the embarrassment that would certainly be his. Every gathering he would come to, when he would see people whispering, he'd wonder if they were talking about him and the pain he was going through after he had considered these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him 
in a dream. A messenger from God. God often sends angels as messengers of his word. And he, the Lord sent this angel to appear to Joseph in a dream. And he said this, Joseph, son of David. I want to remind you that though Joseph is a carpenter, that's not the highest position in the land. A relatively lowly tradesman without great power, political strength. Though he is a carpenter, he is the son of David. He's the child of a king. And I want to remind you, no matter how insignificant you may feel, you are in Christ, a child of the king. And God sees you not just through whatever struggles you may have or difficulties you may face, but he sees you through that lineage of Jesus in Christ. So that the Bible says about Joseph, he was the son of David. Of course, Jesus would be born then in the lineage of David. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid. A common word from angels, because they were often amazing creatures. People were fearful of them. But what a word to us in our generation, don't be afraid. This is the fear generation. This is the fear generation. It's hard not to be fearful. We're we're told to be fearful of everything in every way. But in Christ, we look at the world differently. In Christ, we look at the world differently. So that we don't fear and we're not, we're not unaware of problems, right? We're not unaware of difficulties and struggles. We're not courting disaster, but we are, we are told many times in Scripture not to be afraid. We don't fear death. We, we, we don't see death as the enemy because of what Christ has done in the resurrection. We don't have to live in fear. Man, that's a good thing to note. I want you to, I want you to note this because the enemy loves to make fear a central part of your heart and God sets us free from that we don't have to live in fear and doubt and worry I'm very thankful for that and so the angel said don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit that must have been the most surprising thing shocking thing what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit what the angel was saying is Joseph this is not this is not the normal thing and this isn't this isn't the usual this is the miraculous. Because we need something more than reform. Did you know that? And if all we needed was reform, if all you needed just to reform a little bit, maybe someone could help you with that. Get some sort of life coach or somebody could help you reform. But we need more than that. We need more than religion. And I'm super religious. I'll go to church. I'm going to go to all three Christmas Eve services. I mean, that's my plan right now. I'm going to go to, I'm a super religious guy. But if all we need, if it's just religion, man, that's something we can do. But what if we need something more? It's more than try harder and do better, which is what so many people see as the, really what Christianity is about. It's just about trying harder, doing better. What if you can't try hard enough and you can't do well enough? And what if you need something more than reform or deeper than religion what if you need a miracle what if that's what you need a miracle my family every family i think has a, some show that they becomes a family show you watch over and over movie you watch over and over one of those for us is um, princess bride i don't know if any of you, you younger ones maybe haven't seen it so much you're not really missing that much but it's just become a part of our family it's inconceivable that you haven't seen that show by the way if you haven't seen it but it's uh, we've seen it, the movie lots and lots of times. We quote the various things. And it's just a silly show about a, a guy and a girl and all that goes along with that. 
but there's some problems along the way. And this guy is kind of, he's not dead, he's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. And he needs help. And so he goes to Miracle Max because he needs a miracle. Miracle Max, this guy can help him. He gives him a pill and tells him to have fun storming the castle. And that's, that's kind of the show. Well, we need, a, we need a miracle, but there's no Miracle Max around us. You know, there's no secret pill. But the Lord didn't just say, he doesn't just say to you, hey, man, do better. You know, straighten it up. You're not, you're not acting like you ought to act. I wish you'd try a little harder. He says, I am providing for you the miracle that you need. The miracle that you need. And Christ is the miracle. God became a man and lived among us. Now think of that. Fully God and fully man. Jesus has always been. When the world was created, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created the world. Jesus, who's fully God, came into this world fully man. And we needed him to be fully God because he is able to pay the penalty for our sins and provide the forgiveness we need. We need him to be fully man because he's our, our representative and he can be our substitute, a substitutionary sacrifice. We need fully God and fully man because we need a miracle and the coming of Jesus is miraculous. Principle number three, the coming of Jesus is critical. It's critical. Let's go to verse 21. The Bible says, the angel is saying, uh, to Joseph about Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. That might not have been a family name like so many used, but it's the name he wanted, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now the, the name Jesus, the Old Testament version of that, Yeshua, means the Lord saves or Savior. And it's saying, the angel is saying, this is the name I want you to give him, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Because he will save his people from their sins. I just, can I just tell you, I know that sin is not the most popular topic to preach on. I, I, I know that. But I want to say just two things about this. About how critical this story of Christmas is and about how critical the message of the gospel is. Number one, sin is a really big problem. And it's way worse than you think. I'd say probably the average American would say, if push comes to shove, I guess, all right, maybe I've sinned, but it's no big deal. All right, maybe I haven't followed God fully, but it's not any big deal. My sins are, if they're sinful at all, they're little sins, and they don't really amount to much. And the Bible is saying, no, 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 it's way, way worse than you think. Way worse than you think. Sin kills and steals and destroys it leads to death. It separates us from God who is holy. It is way worse than you think. And if you thought, and I'm telling you, if you're in this category, giant club, if you thought, it's no big deal, my sins aren't that big, what you think of as your small sins, you say, well, okay, there's someone else way worse than me. Maybe their sins are big. What we call small little sins, insignificant, no big deal. I really, you know, we, however we justify it in our mind. The Bible is saying it is really big and it's way worse than you think. It separates us from God. And may I say just frankly, if I got what I deserve because of my sin, I'd be separated from God in hell for eternity. That's how serious it is. Pretty serious. But I want you to see as well that Jesus saves from sin. He will save his people from their sins. Not only is 
sin way worse than we think, but the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the salvation Jesus offers to us is far greater than we think, far greater than we think. He paid our debt. It wasn't just a little debt we had, you know, maybe I could pay back a few dollars or maybe a few hundred, maybe I could save up and pay, pay back a few thousand, but what if it's what if it's millions? What if it's billions? What if it's way, what if it's next beyond that? Trillions and beyond. And there's no hope at some point for us to pay it back. That's our debt. It's way worse than we think, but his salvation is way greater than we think. And he paid our debt and he fully forgives. And you can be forgiven. Whatever the sin of your past, whatever the secrets no one else knows, whatever the pain or the hurt or the brokenness of life, he is able to forgive, fully forgive. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to save from every sin. And that's why grace is amazing. It's not like, like we don't just say it's like nice grace. It's amazing grace because sin is terrible, but grace is greater. And I'm thankful for the miracle the Lord provides. The coming of Jesus is critical. Uh, number four, the coming of Jesus is foretold. Verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then in verse 23, it gives us the words of Isaiah the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So it's God's words, not just Isaiah's, but God who's speaking. It's God's word that he gives in, his, in, his, uh, in the Bible to us. It's God's words that he gives through the prophets. And he's foretelling what's going to happen about the virgin who will give birth to a son. Now, I tell you, predicting the future, it just feels harder for me than ever. It just feels harder than ever. I've been here a long time, and so I sort of can predict lots of times, like I have an idea what's going to happen next in church life, and pretty good idea of, you know, what's going to, how many people will come to things. I can't predict anything. I don't know what, I feel so uncertain about the future. Well, I was going to Israel just in a few days. We were going to Israel, and the country uh, shut down at the time we were going to go, and we're out to reschedule a trip for October. And man, I mean, I can't predict these things. I can't predict the stock market. Nor can I tell you, can anyone else? That's my my theory. I hear the experts say things like this. They say the stock market may, and then they say whatever they say next. And as soon as they say may, well, yeah, I can do that. It may go up, and it may go down. I mean, you see what an expert I am in stocks. Yeah, it may do anything. They don't know. I mean, they have ideas and thoughts and suggestions, what appears to be happening, but I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know what the whole future holds for me. I can't see the twists and turns down the road. I sort of make my plans. I, I, I sort of plan out what I think is going to happen, but I don't know because I don't know the future, but I do know who does. And there's one who knows the future. And the Bible reminds us of this, that the Lord knows the future. And can I tell you, just as he prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus was born, by the way, this, this prophecy from Isaiah is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. I just want to remind you that all he promises about eternity in the future will come true as well. All that he's promising about that is going to come true. Because God knows the future. And notice well that God fulfills his purposes. God is saying, listen, Joseph, son of David, I'm going to fulfill my purposes through you. I'm going to accomplish what I want to accomplish through your life. You may not feel significant by the world's standards, but you're the son of a king. 
I have a purpose for you, and I'm going to fulfill it. And I've got a purpose for this world. I know it's broken. Believe me, God in heaven knows the world is broken. He's not surprised about that. But he's going to fulfill his purposes. And he'll do it through problems and around problems and even with problems. And God's going to fulfill the purposes. Depend upon the Lord instead of yourself. Many times, I meet younger people who are just reluctant to say, God, I'm just going to give you kind of the blank check on my life. Whatever you want, I just give my my life, my future, my hopes, my wishes to you. Many times I see people reluctant to to do that. As though somehow we can predict what's going to happen. As though we know the twist and the turns. As though we can run our life better than the God who knows everything and the God who's working in and through us to accomplish his purposes. And I want to ask you to trust him, the God who knows the future, the God who holds the world in his hands, the God who's made promises about your life and about your potential and about his promises, and the God who's promising us about eternity and heaven and his return one day, the coming of Jesus is foretold. And number five, would you note this? The coming of Jesus is personal. It's personal. The Bible says when, uh, in verse 23, the prophecy of Isaiah is this, this virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. And then he trained the word, which is translated, God is with us. So the Bible is reminding us here that God came near to us. Thomas Jefferson and some others in his day saw God as like, I know there's got to be a God as a design the world has got design there must someone made this and he said there must god made the world but he just kind of left it running and he's just far away and the bible says something very different the bible says not only did god make this world not only is god big enough and powerful enough to speak the world into existence but god cares about you i mean he cares about your the details of your life i mean he's not far away he is near in fact the bible says when we trust him as savior god the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's not just out there. He's in us. If you're lost, he's here convicting you of your need for a Savior. He's not far away. He's nearby. Jesus didn't stay distant and far removed. He came into that manger and into that stable, born on our behalf for, for us, into our world. And so we call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Not just out there, but with us. Skip down to verse 24. The Bible says when Joseph, when Joseph woke up, I love these next two words, it just says he did as the Lord's angels, angel had commanded him. I mean, it's just simple but so profound. He did. He just said, I'm going to make my obedience personal. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. God doesn't want just general obedience, you know, from the world. He wants your obedience. It's personal. So probably there's something in your life you say, I know this is what God wants from me. Here's how you respond to that. You just say, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Not just a generalist that knows what God sort of wants in the world, but I'm going to be specific and personal about what God wants from me. And I'm going to obey him and follow him and trust him. And not just just, um, in theory, but in the reality. And if you will trust him as Savior, the Bible says he will forgive you of sins. And he will make you a new person. And he will give you new life. And he will give you a future worth having. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll give you a life worth living. It's personal. He's a Savior. 
and loves and cares. And I want you to bow with me for a word of prayer. And I want to lead us in prayer in two areas. Some of you here need to be saved. That's what you need. It's not just reformed or to be just more religious or just to try harder and do better, but you need Christ as Savior. And I'm going to ask you today to give your life to Christ. The Bible tells us we're to repent of our sins, to turn from them. We're to place our trust in Jesus who lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we deserved and rose from the grave. To trust that Christ loves you and that Christ can save you. And then to receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you. And if you'll do that, Christ will save you. And today you can be born again. Today you can have new life in Christ. And Christian, I, want you to, I wonder if you'll say today, God, I want to I recognize this great miracle that you provided for me. And I want it to be personal. Not just theoretical. Not just general. But I want it to be personal for me. And I want to do what you call me to do. Because you're with me. I want to do what you call me to do because you're with me. Father, I thank you for your word and the power and the truth of it and the hope that it gives. And I want to thank you that you didn't just create the world and stay far removed, but you came right into this world. Emmanuel, God is with us. I thank you. You're a savior. You give us what we need. You care about us personally. We're not just a a number or a name to you, but you know everything there is to know about us. I'm going to thank you for the depths of your love and the hope that it provides. And I pray you'll help us to follow you and to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.